If you have a Bible, uh, go ahead and open up to John chapter 4. John chapter 4 is where we are heading today. There's our table in the wilderness image back up in front of us again. Uh, Some of you may have thought that we were done uh, with this image for a little while after spending uh, uh, several weeks earlier this year and and so on, but I want to explore this theme at least a little bit more over the next few weeks. Uh, right, so, so, so far, we've been looking at the example of, of John the Baptist and of Jesus, and we've seen this picture of something we have started calling the wilderness lifestyle or the wilderness way. Several of us were reflecting on this together in our conversation time earlier this morning. Uh, but as we looked at this, we saw John is not concerned with crowds. He's not concerned with publicity. Rather, John comes at the beginning of the gospel as a voice in the wilderness, preparing the way for the Lord. He's wearing camel hair, and he eats bugs, right? He is not concerned about what other people think about him. Nonetheless, in the dry, dusty, desolate wilderness, he is bringing people into the waters of baptism, including Jesus, who comes to him there. And we witness the abundant table of God in the wilderness as Jesus rises from the baptism waters, and we hear the voice speak, this is my beloved child with whom I am well pleased in whom I delight, right? That voice sounds out in the wilderness, setting this table of abundant love for us. And then from there, we looked at Jesus, who continues even deeper into the wilderness as he goes there for 40 days fasting and facing temptation. And during this time, he turns down all of these things that Satan throws before him, right? He turns down short-term pleasures of food in order to receive the eternal pleasures of his Father's word, He resists the temptation to performance and spectacle and instead chooses quiet simplicity. He rejects the temptation to easy power grabbing and instead chooses the difficult and hard road of sacrifice that will ultimately lead him to the cross. And yet, it was two weeks ago, that we gathered together and celebrated with the words, He is risen. He is risen indeed. Right? We saw that the wilderness of the cross is not a dead end. But rather, it leads to the abundant table of resurrection life. So through these past weeks, we've largely been exploring this wilderness way, right? Quiet, simple, humble, sacrificial living. And we've said that this way of living, this way of being in the world actually leads us to the abundant table of God, even though you would not expect it. 
So for the next few weeks, I want to focus in on that table. What is this table of God like? What is this table in the wilderness a place for? And so today in John chapter 4, we're going to read an amazing encounter of a woman at a well with Jesus that shows us a picture of this wilderness table of God. And in order to do the story justice and get the whole picture, I'm going to read the whole story. The whole exchange that they have, the initial encounter, the conversation, but also the aftermath that comes. It's a bit of a long reading, longer than we usually do. But as I read, I want to invite you to enter the story. Enter this story as we come to it. Imagine Jesus and his disciples journeying through the dusty wilderness and arriving at the outskirts of a town at high noon in the heat of the day. Imagine a woman journeying out of that town by herself toward this nearby well. Imagine these things and enter the story as we hear the word of the Lord. John chapter 4, beginning in verse 4. Now he, Jesus, had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, Give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and I have to keep coming to draw water here. And he told her, go and call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, you're right when you say that you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you've just said is quite true. Sir, 
the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is there in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. And when he comes, he'll explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. And just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? And then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And they came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. And then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? My food, Jesus said, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying it's still four months until harvest? I tell you, Open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. This is the word of God for the people of God. God. Amen. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you that you are a God who sets tables in the wilderness. You're a God who provides living water, even in dry and dusty places. God, I pray that as we consider the words of your scripture together this morning, 
that you would sharpen our minds and soften our hearts, that we might know you and love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. There is a song with a chilling melody that has always absolutely captured me. It's called Nature Boy. Have any of you heard of it? You you might know it without knowing the name of it. It was made popular by Nat King Cole in the late 40s, has been covered many other times by other artists. It begins with the words, There was a boy, a very strange, enchanted boy. They say he wandered very far, very far, over land and sea. It just grabs you immediately, right? And and it keeps going. This mysterious nature boy is meant to be a figure of experience and wisdom. The song goes on to recount how this, this person is able to speak of many things, fools and kings. But then he said to me, and the song concludes, the greatest thing you'll ever learn is just to love and be loved in return. It's beautiful and it's haunting and it's so deeply true. The greatest thing you'll ever learn is just to love and be loved in return. But I want to add one more thing to that sentiment. And it very well may be implied within it, but I want to say it outright. The greatest thing is not only to be loved, but to be known and loved. Not just to be loved, but to be known and loved. You see, if we are loved but not known, then we'll always have reason to doubt that love. We'll always have reason to say, well, but if you only knew, then of course you wouldn't love me, right? Well, we would always have reason to say, well, if you really knew me, then you'd never love me. And I believe this is an essential crisis of the world that we live in. Right? We live in a world that is more connected than ever before and more lonely than ever before. How can that be? Right? We have more access to, to information than anyone in the history of the world. And yet, with all of this knowing... We have forgotten how to be known. And perhaps because of your own history, you've decided that you'd rather not be known. But to give up truly being known is to give up truly being loved. And this is at the heart of this encounter at the well. You see, the woman 
encounters Jesus, and she goes away declaring what? He told me everything I've ever done. Right? She arrives lonely and unknown, and she departs rejoicing and fully known. He told me everything I ever did. This table in the wilderness is a place to be known. It is a place to be known. It's a place where we learn how to be known again. Because I think we've forgotten. And so let's look through this story and see just how it progresses along the way. The story begins at high noon, the heat of the day. Jesus and his disciples have been on the road, tired from traveling. Jesus sits down by a well, and his disciples go into town for some food. So Jesus is tired, and he's thirsty, and I'm sure he's staring straight at the well. It would be great if I could get some of the water that's down there, but it's about 30 meters down, right? So he's simply sitting and resting. And fortunately, a woman from the town comes along to draw some water. What luck, or more than luck. Now, much conjecture has been made about this woman. Many scholars observe that it may have been strange for her to come to the well at this time of day. Right? Most women would come to the well either early in the morning or later in the afternoon when it was much cooler instead of walking out all the way there in the heat of the day. But this woman comes at noon, right in the middle of the day. Now, maybe she's just avoiding rush hour, right? right? She just doesn't like the crowd. She's, she's being, you know, smart. Uh, but many believe that she is very intentionally avoiding the crowds because she is a social outcast, because she's not welcome in the crowds. It's too awkward, perhaps too painful, whether a social outcast or not, we will later learn as we continue through the story that this woman has experienced more than her fair share of loss and rejection. She has had five husbands, marriages that ended either in death or divorce. And now she's with a man who is not her husband either an immoral relationship of cohabitation or simply a practical relationship of survival and care. Whatever the case, it seems like the pain of loss and the rejection that she's experienced throughout her life have brought her to a place of no longer wanting to be known. She either doesn't want to or isn't able to enter into the fullness of marriage again, a sixth time, really. And she is coming to the well at a time when no one else should be around 
So she's not going to have to interact with others. Hear this. If one of the greatest joys is to be known and loved, then one of the deepest pains is to be known and unloved. To be known and rejected for it. So many of us settle for being unknown and unloved because at least it's not as bad as being known and rejected. It's a lot easier to just remain unknown and not worry about whether or not I'm going to be loved or not. I wonder where do you find yourself in this? Have you experienced the pain of loss and rejection of some kind? Has it led you to closing yourself off to others in some way, preferring to be unknown rather than risking the possibility of being unloved? C.S. Lewis wrote, that to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies, little luxuries, avoid all entanglements, lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness, and in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken, but it will become unbreakable, impenetrable, and irredeemable. He goes on to say, the only other place that we can be safe, the, the only place other than heaven that we can be safe from all of this uh, pain and, and death and, and risk is hell. Because at least there, we know we're going to get it. This is what so many of us in our culture have done. We've put up our walls, we've put up our boundaries, and we have settled for being unknown and unloved because it's too painful to be known and not loved. Many of you are familiar with my story. Shortly after moving to the Pacific Northwest, my wife left me and divorced and I experienced this pain of rejection myself. And I began living with this narrative, you're not worth sticking around for. You're someone who gets left. That's who you are. And it left me very disillusioned with love. Sometime after that, I, I did date a little bit here and there at the encouragement of friends, but I was wounded and still believed that I was not worth sticking around for, 
that narrative was so deep in me. And so I ultimately just decided to, to swear off love, right? I'm just going to be single for the rest of my life. Maybe I'll become a monk or something, right? That'd be great. Um, and then I met Caitlin. Now, you guys know how that story ended up. Um, but honestly, it, it was hard. It was very difficult. Because I, I wasn't interested in dating or romance or love at all. She used to say I was like a dinosaur, right? Uh, any mention of romance, I'd just kind of roll my eyes and roar at it. Um, uh, it. It just, you know, wasn't alive. But slowly, through the course of our friendship, hope began poking at my closed-off heart. And honestly, it made me angry. Because I I didn't want to hope. It was so much easier to be hopeless, right? I don't want to deal with the possibility of hoping and, and having those hopes crushed, of, of, of hoping to be loved and being unloved, right? It was much easier to remain hopeless, but hope is a very powerful force. And eventually the dam burst. Now, that's a story of, of romantic love, but what about other loves? What about the love of friendship? The love of family? The love of God? Are there ways that you have closed yourself off from love? and settled for being unknown? Are there ways that you've given up on relationships, on community? This woman comes to the well in a wilderness of loneliness, but she soon discovers that God's table in the wilderness is a place to be known. And how does this discovery begin? How does this begin to occur? Well, it begins very simply with Jesus asking in verse 7, will you give me a drink? It doesn't begin with sharing deep, dark secrets. It doesn't begin with throwing oneself off into reckless vulnerability. It begins with sharing a simple cup of water together. It begins by sitting down at a table together. And this can happen in surprising ways with surprising people who you don't expect, right? Jesus is a Jewish man, and she is a Samaritan woman. Two boundaries not usually crossed. There's a long history there we don't have time to go into, but Jesus doesn't care about any of that. He is thirsty after travel and asks her for some water. But more than that, he knows about her thirst for living water. And so he reaches out to her. 
And this is where things begin to shift in the story. We don't have time to walk in detail through their conversation about water and thirst and worship and spirit and truth. There's a lot there to reflect on. I encourage you to do that. Maybe we can talk about it more in the conversation hour next week. But the main thing I want to observe about this moment is how a conversation that began with a simple request for water has slowly transformed into an occasion for deep spiritual reflection and connection. Isn't it amazing how something like that can happen? Right? It's gone from two strangers at a well who shouldn't even be talking to each other to an occasion for knowing and being known. How many occasions like this do we pass by on any given day? Right? We prefer keeping to ourselves, relying on ourselves. Right? It's just like it was not socially acceptable for Jesus to be talking to this woman. In our culture today, it's not socially acceptable to talk to anyone who doesn't ask for you to talk to them, right? What are you doing coming up to me? Why, what do you, right? The, I, I was listening to someone recently who, who said their initial response whenever someone comes up to talk to them is, what do you want, right? What do you want from me, right? Not, hi, how are you? Right? Doesn't that say something about the world we live in? How many of these opportunities for connection do we pass by on any given day? Because we are so trained by the culture of our world and not the way of Jesus. Jesus could have kept to himself. He could have gone off and found his own drink of water but instead, he broke that social wall between him and this stranger, and he asked, will you give me a drink? And in so doing, the way was made for deep connection. A table was set for knowing and being known. And in the course of conversation, Jesus reveals that he knows her. He does know her. He knows her past history. He knows her present circumstances. And yet he also makes himself known. I am the Messiah. I am he, he tells her. And Jesus wants these things with you and for you as well. You see, no matter how much you might withhold yourself, and keep up those boundaries, Jesus already knows you. He knows your past history. He knows your present circumstances. He already knows you. He knows what you've been through. He knows what you're ashamed of and afraid of, and yet he does not shrink back or run away or stay silent. He continues to set this table as a place to be known. And he wants you to know him as well. He wants you to know that 
He loves you. That He is the Messiah who has come to establish the kingdom of God. That He is the one who has come to save the whole world. He knows you and He wants you to be known and to know Him. This is the place of knowing and being known. The place of being known and loved. And this is the essence of our faith. It's not about lists of rules or systems of theology. It's about knowing God and being known by God. It's about knowing the people of God and being known by the people of God. I've said this before, and I'll say it again. It's not merely about content. It's about connection. Connection over content. Knowing and being known. That's why when the woman leaves this encounter with Jesus, she doesn't go proclaiming the content of their conversation. Living water, spirit and truth. You know, there's coming a day, not this mountain or that mountain. She doesn't say any of that. She goes proclaiming her experience of connection. Come and see this man who's told me everything I ever did. He saw me. He knew me. That's what this table in the wilderness is about. It's about knowing and being known. It's a place to be known. But the story doesn't stop there. She has this experience with Jesus and she immediately goes to share it with others. In verse 29, she says, come and see, right? Come and see this man. She invites them to the same experience that she has had. Now, I want you to consider how absolutely profound this is. This is a woman who came to the well in the middle of the day to intentionally avoid other people. And she leaves the well intentionally seeking out other people to invite them to be with her. That's different, right? Something profound has happened. She's intentionally pursuing other people with this news. Her encounter with Jesus has not only changed her private spiritual relationship with God, but it's transforming her public social relationship with others. The walls that she had built up around herself have been knocked down. The way she has learned to keep to herself have been overcome by something better that now moves her to reach out to others. And the same thing also happens for us as we encounter Jesus today. No, God doesn't necessarily transform us all into extroverts, thank God. But 
as Jesus says here, there is a harvest to be reaped. And we are called into the fields. We're called into the fields. Look at what Jesus says in verse 35. He says, don't you have a saying? It's still four months until harvest. But I tell you, open your eyes. Look at the fields. They're ripe for harvest. Now, there's a lot of truth in this saying that Jesus points to. Still four months until harvest. Crops don't mature overnight, right? Building relationships takes time. Sharing our faith takes time. So we do need to faithfully sow seeds. But a lot of times this idea of of sowing seeds has become an excuse to never reap a harvest. And Jesus tells them straight, open your eyes, look around you. The fields are ripe for harvest. We need to hear this. There are people in our lives who long for the kind of encounter that we've had with Jesus. There are people longing to be known who are presently living in isolation, loneliness, but longing for a place to be known and loved. There are people just waiting for someone to break through that social wall just like Jesus did with this woman at the well. These are the people who are ripe for harvest. There are people who are ready to come to the table if only they would receive an invitation. So Jesus tells his disciples here, go into the fields. And we need to hear this today as well. We are the ones who need to offer that invitation. We are the ones who need to open our eyes and see the people around us. You are the ones who need to go and share the invitation. This won't just happen. We actually have to reach out to other people. The table in the wilderness has seats that need to be filled. And there are people who long for a place to sit and be welcomed and be known. And so I want to ask you, have you encountered something of Jesus here in this little community of ours? Have you experienced a little bit of what it's like to be known and loved I believe that this table in the wilderness is set to be just such a place where people can be known.
and welcomed and loved. So who do you know who needs a seat at this table? Just like this Samaritan woman, it is time to go and offer the invitation. Come and see. Come and see this goodness. Come and see this table in the wilderness. Come and see the life that Jesus can offer. Yes, we need to continue planting seeds, the slow, faithful work. Planting seeds is good, but we need to also watch, open our eyes for the opportunities of harvest. We need to look and see that there are people who long to be known and loved and need just such a community to belong to and be part of. Planting seeds is good, but it's harvesting that gathers people together and gives them a place to be known. Then they will be able to say, just like this Samaritan community, we no longer believe just because of what you've said. Now we've heard for ourselves. And we know that this one really is the Savior of the world. The table in the wilderness is a place to be known. And so may you be known and loved here. But may you also go from this place sharing the joy of being known and bringing others back to this table with you that they too may know and be known. Amen.